You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to joining us this morning as we go through the book of Romans. We're in our third week now, and we're looking at Romans 2. And I'm excited. If I haven't met you before, or you're joining us for the first time, and you're like, who's this guy? I'm Jimmy Young and I'm the Assistant Minister here at St. John's and it's my great pleasure to be preaching this morning. I want you to imagine something for a moment. Close your eyes at home and just imagine standing before the Lord on the last days. He's there, you're there and he asks you, on what basis shall you enter the kingdom of heaven? What would you say? What would you say to a question like this? I think for many modern Australians, the quick response would be, I'm a good person. I'm not sure if I really believe in God all that much, and I haven't prayed very often, and I probably haven't read the Bible, but just ask my friends, ask my family. I'm a good person, and God will understand. I don't think that's the most convincing of reasons and partially because we heard why last week. We heard that every one of us have exchanged the creator with creation and have led us into all kinds of evil deeds. But I also don't think that that's going to be the response of many people listening in this morning. See, we're not just good people, we're religious people, Christian people. We read the Bible, we go to church, we pray our prayers. And in some way, that's Israel's response to the same question. On what basis shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? We did what you asked, Lord. See, last week we looked at Romans 1, or the last couple of weeks, and Paul brings this charge against the Gentiles, the non-Jews, those who don't follow God. He says, you've exchanged the creator for creation that's led into all kinds of evil acts. How would you know what good is if you exchange God for created things? And in my head, I can imagine the scenes. Israel watching on as Paul writes these challenging words to the Gentiles. Finally, someone is holding them to account. Finally, someone is speaking up against them. The image I have in my head is of a a schoolyard brawl where people are gathering around, egging people on, saying, fight, fight, Paul, write more, go harder. You haven't even said what they do in secret yet. You've just said the things that are really easy to see. But then all of a sudden, Paul turns his pen and his eyes towards Israel and says, you guys are just the same. You are in the same boat too. Let's pick up from verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, for when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you the judge are doing the very same things. You say we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Do you imagine though, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God. 
You don't need to read the Old Testament very far to realize that Israel is full of people who know the truth and yet don't practice the truth. Full of people who talk a big game and yet are very, very wayward. And at the heart of what Paul is writing here is a deep and devastating truth that no one lives up to their own standards. All of us fall short of the standards that we hold for others. In fact, it's a fairly well-known psychological phenomenon that when other people fail, we attribute it to character, but when we fail, we attribute it to circumstances. That when other people do something that we see as wrong, we say, that's a bad person. But when we do the same thing, we say, well, I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm angry, I stayed up too late, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious. There's so many reasons why that thing occurred. And what it's really getting at is hypocrisy. See, the passage isn't particularly about judging, it's about being hypocrites, about not living up to the standards that we hold for others. And we all do this, we all hate hypocrites. And yet we all are hypocrites. I know that's true for me. You know, I, I, we're in this lockdown and one of the things that I get really frustrated about is, is people not wearing masks properly. And it's, it's such a small thing and yet you go to the park, you go to the shops and people have their mask half down or they're not wearing one. I'm just like, oh, it's so easy, just put on your mask. Yesterday I, I went for a ride with Nate and I met Sarah at the park and like we get off the bike and I put Nate down and where's my mask? It's not there. It's not on me. I'm, I'm outside and I'm not, I'm not doing exercise and now I need a mask. Where is it? So suddenly the thing that I judge other people for, I'm guilty of. Yet in my mind I come up with all these reasons. Well, you know, I was exercising. Maybe if I put my helmet on, people won't ask me questions. I, I, what will I do? The same thing I judged others for, I was trying to find reasons and circumstances to justify myself. It's the same kind of thing that Paul is talking about here, that the same rod we use to beat others is the rod that will break our back. How often we judge others and yet justify our own behavior. We don't live up to our own standards. Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5. Do you despise the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? By your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we, we talked about this last week, Sam talked about this, that we really do have a problem with judgment and how we reconcile it with God's mercy and kindness and forgiveness. How does this all make sense? Well, this is actually part where it makes sense. This is where it all starts to come together in our heads. Even God's judgment is an act of kindness even when God pours out his judgment, it's meant to lead us to repentance. It's not leading us, just, it's not just judging us for the sake of judging. It's designed to lead us back to God. C.S. Lewis once said that the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. 
It's meant to lead us back to repentance. And so one of the, a really helpful question to ask if you feel like you're experiencing the judgment of God or the hardness of God is asking yourself, how is this kind? How is this leading me back to repentance? Ask it not just abstract, but in a prayer to God. How is this leading me back to you, Lord? See, the passage says that God judges and pours out his judgment in order to lead us back to repentance that his kindness is leading us back to repentance but often we don't want to be led back to repentance we want to hold on to both our ability to justify ourselves our ability to judge others and our sin exhibit a how often have you heard a challenging sermon a convicting sermon and immediately thought of someone else that needed to hear that message. I need to tell my husband about this. I need to tell my wife about this. I need to tell my friend about this. And yet we skim over the person who needs to hear it first. Ourselves. I'm fine. I'm good. It's someone else that needs to hear this message. But then God says, in, in Romans 2 verse 5, that all we do when we judge others and skim over ourselves is store up wrath for ourselves on the day of judgment. That day when justice will be poured out and we will be surprised at what we find in our hearts. And the thing that strikes me at this moment is that Paul hasn't even mentioned the law. He hasn't even mentioned the Old Testament law that Israel is trying to follow, that they're trying to build their life around. Literally, he's only used their judgments. He's just said, you don't keep up your own standards. You don't keep up your own standards. And you pour up, you pour up judgment for yourself. You pour out judgment for yourself on the day to come. And there's this interesting contrast that happens in the verses. See, in Romans 1, we have the pagan Gentiles, the non-God following, the non-God fearing, the non-Jews, who do all these evil things. They're being led into all kinds of errors. And in Romans 2, we have the Jews, the Israelites, God's own people, the holders of the law, the holders of God's holy words. These are God's people. And yet Paul essentially says... You're one and the same. You see, in verse 5, he describes them as hard and impenitent. The Greek words behind those English words are used in the Old Testament only to describe idol makers. Paul describes these upstanding, holy, religious Jews as idol makers, people who make Idols, people who have exchanged the creator for the creation. Does that remind you of anyone? That's actually the charge he brings against the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1. He says in verse 25 that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There's no difference. They end up in the same place they've made idols. 
See, for the person who, who wants to just do everything, who wants to set themselves free by accomplishing every kind of external goal, by getting wealth and fame and glory and power and sex, we can see their idols. They're clear to see. And Paul's saying the religious person has rejected that, but they've made an equally dangerous error. See, they don't look to sex to set themselves free. They don't look to power to set themselves free. They don't look to wealth or fame or glory to set themselves free. No, they look to themselves. They have become their own idol because they believe they can save themselves. They can set themselves free. It's not the external things of the culture it's these external religious actions, this external religious obedience. I've been to church, I've prayed my prayers, I've read the Bible, I know the prayer book. That's what will set me free. I, I, I have done this. That's what will save me. That's their idol. Paul goes on in verses 6 to 11. For he will repay according to each one's deeds to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. Whilst for those who are self-seeking and who obey not the truth but wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be anguish and distress for anyone, everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. You read this passage and you start to wonder potentially for yourself, can we be saved by doing good deeds? Because it seems to be saying that and some others have said that. He will repay according to each one's deeds to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. Great. So I just need to patiently do good deeds and seek glory and honor and immortality and I'll be right. And that would be true if we did that. But the rest of Romans and in fact the rest of the Bible is a story about how people, even those who seek after those things, still don't measure up. They still don't meet those standards. Francis Schaeffer has a, a famous illustration that he uses. He says, imagine for a moment that upon birth, around the neck of a baby, we put a tape recorder. And the tape recorder followed it everywhere that baby went. It recorded everything that that, that person ever said over the course of their life. And then on the day of judgment, God plays that recorder, but all it's recorded is the judgments we make on other people. And then God turns around and says, would you pass your own test? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't pass the judgments I place on other people, let alone, let alone what God says is right and good and true. I have failed. I fall short. I miss the mark. The last verse, verse 11, says God shows no partiality. What it's essentially saying is that God is a just judge. He's a good judge. 
He can't be bought, he can't be bribed, he can't be swayed. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. God is impartial. He judges rightly. And the right judgment is that we've all fallen short, not only of our own standards, but of God's. And he continues on, Paul, in verse 12. All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though, are not, are not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show what the, that what the law requires is written on their hearts, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God, through Jesus Christ, will judge the secret thoughts of all. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if there's a scarier verse in the, in the book of Romans. That there will be a future day when God will not just judge our public actions, not just the things that we do at church, not just the, not just the things that we show others, but will judge our secret thoughts and our secret deeds. That there will be a day when there will be no secrets anymore. There will be no public life and private life. There will be no public life and hidden life. There will just be our life on display. God sees everything. The God who sees everything will judge us through Jesus Christ. And the question is the same one that we heard at the beginning. On what basis then shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? On what basis shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? Israel's answer is in the next couple of verses. See, Israel had two main answers. One, we have the law. We have the Old Testament. We have the, the Ten Commandments. We have God's instructions for how to live holy and pleasing and righteous lives. And we also have circumcision, the sign of being God's people. We know the truth and we have the sign that we're with God. We will be fine. On what basis shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? We have the law and we have circumcision. And Paul cuts them down in a couple of verses. He says this from Romans 19 onwards. If you are so sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth... Why then, those that teach others, will you not teach yourself? Will you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? You that boast in the Lord, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? It does not matter whether you know the truth. The question for Israel was, do you live the truth? They know the truth that God has laid down throughout the generations, and yet they don't live it. They're hypocrites. But what about the sign? We might be hypocrites. We might not measure up to our own standards, to God's own standards. But we have the sign, the seal of circumcision. 
the fact we are God's people. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If I go to the football wearing a Richmond Guernsey and then start barracking for the other team, people around me would rightly wonder, do you even belong to that team? So you've got the sign that you belong to the team, but your actions and your life shows something else. You might have the sign of circumcision, but your actions show that you're not part of God's people. That's not who you are and what you do. But what about us? Paul shows that these are flimsy foundations to build upon for the Jews. They are good things indeed. It is good to have the truth of God. It is good to have the law. It is good to have the sign of being God's people. But they don't save us. But for us, we probably don't point to those things as evidence of our salvation. We're not probably boasting about our circumcision. I don't know about you. I'm not boasting about that. I'm not boasting that I have the law, but there are plenty of things that we will boast in. We might boast in the fact that we've been part of St. John's for 30 years. We might boast in the fact that we know the prayer book back to front. We might boast in the fact that we read the Bible. We might boast in the fact that we pray our prayers, that we know the Lord's prayer off by heart. We might boast in the fact that we're part of the welcome team or the singing team or that we're on parish council. These things aren't bad things. They just won't save you. And the moment that we trust in them to save us is the moment that we've got ourselves into trouble. The moment we trust that those things will save us is the moment that we're in the same predicament as Israel. Because when we start trusting in those things, we'll start judging others for not doing them. And even though there's sin in our life, we'll point to this as evidence that it's all okay. It all measures up. It all matches up. I know there's sin in my life, but I know the Bible. I know there's sin in my life, but I go to church every week. God will understand. Hypocrites. It's entirely possible to enjoy Christianity without enjoying Christ. It's entirely possible to love the kingdom of God and not the king. It's entirely possible to love being obedient, but not love being obedient to God. So what will you say? On that last day when we stand before the Lord of all creation, on what basis shall you enter into the kingdom of heaven? There's only one answer that we'll do. And it doesn't begin with me. It's not my works, it's not my good behavior, it's not that I'm a good person because I fall short constantly. I fail and you fail. It's Jesus. On what basis shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? It's Christ. It's the sheer fact 
that Jesus Christ died to save sinners like me. He set me free. It's not my actions. It's not my good behavior. It's not my obedience. It's his. Romans 10 verse 9 says it like this, that if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the answer and that is good news. It's good news for the person who thinks they have to be good, but it is great news for the religious person who spends all their time hoping that they measure up to God's standard. It's good news for the person who spends all their time feeling insecure about whether God accepts them or not. It's good news for the person who wonders, will God accept me? Will God bring me into his family? I'm not sure. Have I read the Bible enough? Have I prayed enough prayers? Have I gone to church enough to earn his favor? Because it's not about that. It saves us from all of our scurrying about, trying to earn God's love. On what basis shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? It's not our good deeds. It's not our religious behavior or our obedience. It's not the signs and symbols that we have of Christian, of being a Christian. It's Jesus Christ alone. That's the answer. That's the answer for me and I hope it's the answer for you. I think it's incredibly well Exemplified by the song, How Deep the Father's Love. I shall not boast of anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I shall boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I do not have an answer, but this I know with all my life, or all my heart, his death has paid my ransom. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the message of Romans 2. That it's not our good behavior, it's not our religious obedience that saves us. Even though those are good things, you save us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God, may we trust in you more than we trust in ourselves. May we look to you more than we look to our own actions. God, it goes against everything in our culture that loves being self-made. God, let us not forget the fact that our salvation rests all of its foundation on Jesus Christ. May we look to him, trust him, love him. And live out of changed hearts. God, may we not boast in our religious activity, our behavior, our obedience, but may we boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.